can we equip my generation to take on the colossal task of caring for this blessing and curse of an earth? We not only need to confront the apathy and hopelessness seeping into young people's vision of our planet's future, but also to figure out how to engage those who don't believe that the future is even in peril with the conversation. Thus, climate education needs to be ingrained in every facet of academics, and academics need to be rooted in climate action. In order to achieve this fundamental transformation of an education system that largely overlooks climate change, we need educators who are prepared to change the narrative and communicators willing to spread the word. For this interview, I talked to an expert who fits the role. Mr. Josh DiVincenzo, an assistant director for education and training and adjunct lecturer at the National Center for Disaster Preparedness at Columbia University. He works to develop learning experiences and curricula for FEMA projects surrounding disaster preparedness, climate literacy, housing, and economic recovery. Hi, uh, my name is Josh DiVincenzo. I am a uh, researcher, assistant director, and a lecturer at Columbia University's Climate School. Um, I specialize on climate change uh, communications and disaster preparedness, uh, and happy to, to be here. So can you start by just kind of summarizing some steps that we can take when confronting um, a climate skeptic or someone who is sort of like fatalist and believes that nothing can be done? Yeah, there's a lot of steps to that. I think really where we have to start is uh, at that social and emotional intelligence and just understanding that there is a person uh, sitting across from us talking about this, that um, they just might not have necessarily all the information that they, 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 they may need to be as engaged as we are uh, in climate change. Of course, we're going to have to get very comfortable having these conversations with people that have very opposing viewpoints or conflicting viewpoints. Um, however, there are mechanisms and, and ways in which we can uh, be more effective in our communication. And a lot of it, first and foremost, starts with listening and then preparing some questions for that person. So asking them uh, probing questions. And if it's something we might not agree with or something that we... Um, um, that surprises us that they said, that we still treat them, again, that human-to-human uh, uh, interaction, no laughing, no judgment, no anger, um, but li really listen to them through. And from there, we can really kind of look from any context clues there of uh, what we should be asking and how we should um, be approaching that conversation. It's going to take multiple conversations, too. I don't think it's a one and done. It's, it's really a lot of relationship building we need to do to be effective climate communicators. Yeah, and um, what do you think are some of the most common misconceptions surrounding um, people who deny that climate change exists or just these conversations in general? Yeah, I think it's it's partially scientific. Uh, the science for a very long time hasn't always been the most accessible to many people. Um, I think that's something that we've seen the scientific community really improve upon in the past few years of if we're going to put a really fancy chart out there, we also have an explanation for it. Or uh, we're learning how to translate the science a lot easier. But uh, really from my experience where I see most of the frustration um, with uh, what people's perceptions of climate change uh, currently is, um, is the fact that they are anxious, that they're angry, um, they're 
uh, somewhat impatient around what are we doing about it. So not only do we need to get better at communicating the science, but we have to get very good at communicating the solutions. So um, we need to, uh, if we're a, a climate change communicator, we need to help alleviate some of that stress that that person might be feeling uh, around climate change by letting them know of some of the solutions that uh, either their, their local uh, community is working on or the state or uh, the federal level, but even around the world, some of the things that people are doing towards it. I think where the, a lot of the fear and anxiety stems from is that um, people might feel like there's nothing to participate in because the solutions aren't there yet. And that's where the scientific community can really play a better role in saying, you know, we actually do have some plans ahead and, and uh, we really need you on our team. Um, and the last thing I'll say on that question is uh, we have a long tradition of identifying people that are either climate skeptics and before that I think they were labeled as climate deniers um, as the problem and it's really we need to do whatever's in our power and our influence uh, to make them also problem solvers because there's perspectives that we're not even covering in climate that they might hold that's very valuable and uh, it takes time so it's, it's not, nothing easy. Mm -hmm. And one thing that really surprises me is how well read some of these climate skeptics are and I'm just curious what are your strategies for when these people are as attached to their own uh, quote-unquote alternative resources as we are to reliable sources like the IPCC or others? It gives me hope, honestly, that they are so well-read because it shows me that, and I think a big misconception and how we look at climate perception and how it's perceived is that people don't have the ability to learn these things or that there is a capacity shortage. And that's not the case at all. I think humans are uh, exceptionally um, well-versed and, and have potential to continue to learn throughout their life. Uh, so for me, when I see that they are well-read, I think it's excellent because that shows me that they're willing to engage with material. But to your, your point, it's a, it's a very tough landscape out there when you can pick and choose only one source and that could be your only source uh, start to finish. So for me, it's introducing and informing, you know, having, bringing a conversation where we can uh, one, even if it's painful, I sometimes listen to their resources, listen to their research, but then also be prepared to kind of share our own and, and be able to kind of explain, you know, this is the latest IPCC report. Um, these are some things that I think uh, could help uh, your understanding of climate change and help um, us get to a solution. So if it's solution oriented, at least you know the direction we're headed. For a long time with climate change conversations, the place we were headed was always kind of vague it was kind of you know and it, there weren't happy places you know everyone was like you know we're head, uh, to your point earlier around uh, the fatalism uh, idea ideology of it, it was you know the only place we're headed is the end of the world we need to be really articulate and elaborate on the other solutions that what the planet could be and i think it's tough to find people that would be opposed to that view if you're really trying to uh, better the world in, in many ways mm -hmm. and then lastly um, I know that you work with uh, climate justice and disaster justice as well, so can you just talk a little bit about um, what gives you hope for the future, especially in the realms of environmental equity? Yeah, that's a really good question, and that's, that's really kind of where we are at this point in time. Um, it's it's reevaluating, reassessing um, how policies are written. Um, it becomes something that uh, takes, of course, a strong voter base, but also just an awareness. And I think the biggest movement we've seen in kind of disaster justice lens and uh, climate justice has been you have people that historically have not been engaged in the investigation of how effective these policies are now being in uh, 
in uh, heavily influential in some of the major platforms. So uh, honestly, I have to thank journalists for that. There's a lot of really interesting investigative journalism that has gone on in disaster policies that have pinpointed that um, there is racial inequalities in, in how uh, disaster aid is distributed. And uh, for a long time, I think that was known by research communities in terms of uh, looking at uh, policy analysis. But it took a news article on a medium that people were actually reading and engaging with um, to bring that into popular view. And once it got to popular view, you actually saw the federal government shifting and thinking through, okay, we need to rethink how these uh, programs are designed. Let's do a public opinion um, uh, initiative where they're looking to get public public voices into how they do these policies. So it tell it, it's really telling in that how more people are paying attention to it. Um, and with that increase in attention, there's also an increase in accountability on our federal agencies, on our, on our programs to do better. So um, it is optimistic in that sense that, uh, you know, it's not only on the research community to uncover um, some of the things that are, you know, the less pleasant things around policy. You have now the, the support of um, all different di- disciplines that are, are bringing this to the forefront. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yeah, I think it's just um, an excellent place to be in terms of uh, where we are now. And I think it's exciting. I think uh, over the past uh, couple of decades, we've seen some shifts in the energy and the momentum in, in anything climate related. Um, I think we're all still learning. I think um, when we have this conversation around climate skeptics, um, that's always been kind of leveraged against us as researchers that, you know, the, the, the knowledge is incomplete or the research isn't all there. Um, but something with the climate is one of those things that we need to accept as a, as a collective uh, society that um, we're always going to be learning about it. And that keeps a lot of people, you know, very excited about their work, very excited about doing better for other generations, uh, very excited about the policy landscape. And um, the last thing I would want to just leave everybody with is that we're all really part problem solvers here. So I don't think there's one group um, explicitly. I mean, I think there's people who probably disagree with me that is solely the problem, um, but we're all uh, potentially problem solvers. And I think that's really what uh, gives me hope and it keeps me excited to do this work. And um, and questions like this and conversations like this, it's great to just kind of unpack where we are in this current moment. So I appreciate the time. Mr. DiVincenzo advocates for including skeptics in the climate discourse. Speaking to him softened my stance on this issue, but I still feel conflicted. Do we even have time to waste on non-believers? Shouldn't we rally up those ready to commit to change instead of trying to convince a comparatively small sector of doubters? Engaging in civil discourse with climate skeptics can illuminate the flaws in our approach to fighting climate change and even offer insights into how we can better reach and educate every sector of the general public. However, I'll leave most of the convincing and educating to experts like Mr. DiVincenzo, and I have tremendous respect for people like him who take on the role of persuasion. As a young person unsure of her future on this planet, I'm open to hearing opposing perspectives, but I'm not going to wait up for them to come around to my side. We simply don't have the time to spare, and I'm going to use the time I have to mobilize others and spread the word. Climate change and the impending devastation of our planet constantly weighs on me. When I discuss this gnawing sense of doom with my friends, we fall silent after a while, suffocated by news of record-breaking wildfires, floods, and heat-related deaths. 
we are consumed by the fact that our society is nowhere near where it needs to be in terms of climate policy. The radical transformations in consumer and corporate behavior and drastic sustainability measures we need to save our planet. All of that despite the fact that a majority of citizens and 97% of scientists firmly believe in climate change. Nothing makes me feel more helpless. Politically paralyzed and without a stake in the financial game, youth are frustratingly limited to peaceful resistance and speeches that draw tears but fall on deaf ears. Our world is burning before our eyes and all we can do is hold up signs. I want not only to be heard but to be listened to. In the field of climate justice, rhetoric is key. I want to speak to all the climate skeptics, the adults who say, I'll be dead by then anyway, the politicians who have bigger problems to worry about than global destruction, the economists driven by the short-term reward of gas-guzzling industries, the school administrators who ignore emails about sustainability initiatives, the kids who have given up on climate change because they feel they can't make a difference. I want to convince them all that change is possible. It requires momentum, dedication, and discomfort, but change is possible and within reach. We may have reached the point of no return, but there is no point at which we cannot begin. Thanks for listening to Changing Planet Justice.